Man, these crackers are loud. This podcast sponsored by Keebler's. Keebler's for when, when soup is just not good enough. I, I've become a uh, – there must be a word for this, but I'm just going to call it a Trader Joe ho because <laughs> all my favorite <laughs> things are now from Trader Joe's. Trader Joe ho. Can we – you and I need to create that T-shirt. We'll each walk into a Trader Joe's wearing it and just see what the reaction is and be like, oh, my God. Is that a thing? Are we selling those? Like, well, we're selling them. You want one? I, I want them as our number one sponsor because I will just sponsor this stuff. I'll be like, these petabyte crackers and a spindrift sparkling water really refresh me. Do you know what I like? They're cowboy bark. Have you ever had that? I believe so. Oh, God. Uh, it's like, is that it's, the one that's like, yeah, the chocolate bark? It's like the remains of other candies and cookies all combined. It's, remember back in college, you ever have the situation where you go to college and they would take like on Fridays and Saturdays, they would take like whatever breakfast cereal was left and like make a <laughs> make like a Rice Krispie bar out of it and serve it as dessert during the dinner session. Like it kind of feels like that, but but it, it's so good. It's like, well, we had some leftover almonds and some marshmallows and some, I guess, some dark chocolate and some regular chocolate and shit. Let's just make some kind of random we won't even make like a bar shape we'll just kind of throw it in a big thing and chop it up i think that's what's so amazing about so much trader joe's food is i feel like they just made it that day yeah like when i'll find a salad i like i'm like oh you guys just threw together this salad that you knew i would like and then you know the next time i'm in there i see the exact same salad and and i go oh wait you just have a you have a recipe for this like i feel so like yeah there is no santa claus that kind of moment uh anyway Hello, and welcome to the Todd and Taylor show. <laughs> Taylor was unaware that I was recording all of that. That's okay. Uh, I'm Todd A. And this I'm is, Taylor Trask. Yeah, we. I think we're giddy with anticipation of of launching some new ideas and stuff that we keep teasing in a very uncool, teasing way. Like we have given no information about that. But next week we will. That's our next plan, Next week right? we will. And that's because there's just simply is so much to share, and we're still kind of under the gun to get it all done. That way we can just talk about it when it is done, and then you will be like, oh, wow, and you'll have things to look at and, and see and everything. So mm. it'll, be, it'll be fun. It'll be fun and interesting, and then I'll have a very long weekend preparing. <laughs> Let's just put it that yeah. way. And while, while you're preparing and while everyone else is waiting, can I suggest having a spindrift raspberry lime sparkling water <laughs> <laughs> and some Trader Joe's a multigrain pita bite crackers with whole wheat and flax seeds? Wow, Todd, um, that sounds amazing. Where can I get those? Uh, Trader Joe's again. Trader Joe's. Uh, Why yeah. is that? The, is that my local neighborhood grocery store that's different from Whole Foods or others? It it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, in a little in a little while, I'll tell you the the other thing that I eat uh, during every single podcast is uh, I have a ritual of going to Trader Joe's and getting these dark chocolate covered mints or mint covered dark chocolates or something but they're at the checkout aisle i always have to like scope out which checkout aisle has them and then i that you know uh, what though they they have mastered the art of the checkout aisle like every time you pull up to that thing you're just like god you gotta fight temptation to get through that thing without picking up one more one more thing from the checkout aisle and you're right they mix it up too so you're like you're like shoot i want to be in this checkout aisle because it's got these things you know these raspberry cream whatever it's all like junk food essentially but it's so good i don't think they sell like they're you know they don't sell apple chips in the check well maybe they do have you i mean maybe there are no they'll sell anything one of my local ones has a this drives me crazy because every time i've got like a full basket i get up there and they have like a half gallon of iced tea and lemonade like an arnold palmer already made 
<laughs> and every time I'm like, I want that so bad, but it's huge. And I know I'm, I've already got one heavy bag of stuff here, and I'm a bachelor, so more than one grocery bag is too much for me. That's too much shopping. It'd be awesome yeah. if this episode is just us listing our favorite shit from Trader Joe's. Just you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did that before I said hello, so yeah. no need to continue with that. Uh, <clears throat> we are wrapping up Season 2 the Todd and Taylor show. At least that's that's kind of how we look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to put a button on the whole thing. And last week, uh, Taylor told me he just had a list of topics to talk about. Um, so I thought I would. Um, if you start- listen last, well, if you listen last week too, it, we kind of went all over the place. So it's yeah, it was it was it was good in that way. And it Definitely. was kind of fun. I, I remember listening back to it, going, "This is actually kind of one of my more favorite podcasts, just because it's simply so random." Um, well, and I think. I, we do sometimes – I mean we haven't done it lately because season one for sure, we would start with this outline. And yeah. I think sometimes it was like we felt like we had to hit every bullet on it. So we would have the same kind of rambling discussion, but there would be these awkward maybe segues where we thought, well, we, we, we yeah, we talked about Game of Thrones for 30 minutes, but we got to also talk about Captain America because it was on the outline or something. And we'd be like, welcome to hour three of the Todd and Taylor show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. During this, during this break, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about, uh, you know, uh, Captain America and the Blair Witch Project. But speaking of, did you, are you at all excited? <laughs> and we'll get to your thing in a second, I promise. But are you at all excited about the Blair Witch sequel? Not at all. Not at all? <laughs> could, could not oh. care less. I mean, they made sequels. <laughs> they made one shitty sequel. This is like the true sequel. You, you can almost forget uh, that one. This is like the day, X-Men Days of Future Past that corrects the mistakes uh, of the Blair Witch retcon. sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's I'm actually well, I'll say this. I'm excited only because that was it wasn't the first found footage movie, but it's kind of the godfather of the modern found footage movie. Um, you know, it's it it sort of teed that oh, yeah up in a major major way that we've seen unfold over the last 16 years so to see them go back to it in kind of an organic way that ties the story together i'm i'm curious i might go check it out anyway it was also the grandfather of amazing viral websites because yes i believe we've mentioned that before but the web was so primitive in like 2000 when that happened Mm. and i was enwrapped by that website like i was i just remember being like is this a real thing i mean this yeah. is crazy yeah and uh my girlfriend at the time i remember i saw the the movie with my girlfriend and her mom oh, and geez. somehow they ha- they literally like walked out thinking it was found footage like for real well i mean i know i know that sounds so crazy because we're no, all adults they so put it they put it out majority. like in august of 99 like late August. So when school yeah, started, was 99. Okay. I came back to school for my senior year and everybody's just like, oh my God, have you seen Blair Witch? It's real. And like, there was like that two or three weeks. And then isn't like, didn't Newsweek cover it like it was real? So there was some major publication or CNN or somebody did a story about it as though it were real. And I think that was all just like a back backroom deal or something like to help the viral campaign. But that just threw more fuel on the fire to the point where they actually had to come out in an interview and say, no, 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 this is, this is fake. You know, this is just you know part of our campaign, and because they're like, "Wow, you're brilliant!" But there was like a, a period of time where everybody went, and then there was because I saw it after they were like, "No, no, it's it's fake," and I still found it kind of unsettling at the time. But I can't imagine seeing it, thinking it might be real. You know, thinking. Well, about- and I think that was the problem is they didn't go into it thinking it was real. It was just that it looked so real 
that they were like they doubted themselves as they came out. Like I can't remember if there's a card at the end that says, you know, this was fiction or something. And I don't remember how they play it off at the end. But um, yeah, I just remember both of them being like, oh, my God, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And, you know, as I was talking to him, it became, became apparent like <laughs> they thought it was real. Um, I Well, and you got, you got a, a friend of mine made a great point, too. They're like. There is something a little bit suspect about going into a movie theater, right. see a bunch of people die and disappear, you know, for money. And I'm like, well, there's that. But I don't know. Just it. I think we didn't have YouTube at the time, you know, like we didn't have all these trappings of of entertainment today that would have, you know, like that. If if it were real, that would have just wound up on YouTube today. So it's. I'm wondering. Right. That all said, I'm wondering. I haven't even paid attention. Is there a? Is there any kind of campaign or, you know, obviously they just sort of dropped it at Comic Con, sight unseen. And as far as I understand, and I'm speaking out of a huge place of ignorance here, but I thought when I read the announcement at Comic-Con, what I thought was surprising about that was everyone knew there was this movie under development, and mm-hmm. the, the crazy announcement was this is the sequel to Blair Witch. Like people had heard of this horror movie mm-hmm. that they were making, and no one had any details. So then when they revealed it's the sequel to Blair Witch, I think that was sort of the way they got around it. Like, uh, oh, shock. You know, like that's yeah. our our shocking move. So, could you imagine um, if they had if they hadn't announced it that way and they just started leaking clips on YouTube? Like, you know, because the the whole conceit is that the brother of the girl from the first one is thinks she's still alive and is trying to find her. So, wouldn't it be amazing if all of a sudden you just yeah. started seeing these like videos pop up on YouTube and like and maybe leading up to Comic Con and then they did? I mean, just something to take advantage of the. Because I, I was reading one thing too, and they're like, the reason we're doing it now, because Lionsgate has the rights to it, the reason we're doing it now is because we have drones and we have cell phone footage and Bluetooth cameras. So, like, the technology lets us tell the story beyond just the simple one shaky cam. Like, we can actually get a bunch of coverage that feels organic. Um, you know, and we can do all these, like, cool things. I'm like, well, that's interesting, but why not take advantage? You, you sort of birthed the viral marketing campaign in its modern form. Like, why not take advantage of that? For this one, you know, I mean, maybe it's at that point. It's, it's probably, like, yeah. We've seen I wonder. it. Well, maybe I'm there not is. Maybe there's some cool thing, and I, we, I'm just haven't paid attention. Uh, and I haven't either. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have even known. It wouldn't have like sort of hit my radar. I don't think. Yeah. Anyway, what's up with you? So, <laughs> it's not Blair Witch related. Well, I I've seen a bunch of movies this week. Oh, really? <laughs> um, not not in the theater. Um, but I saw a movie that was that you mentioned in a podcast of ours earlier, which was Interstellar, mm, um, mm. and I watched it on an eleven book Chromebook, uh, eleven inch Chromebook, as I'm sure Christopher Nolan was hoping <laughs> with you. I mean, why else did he shoot it on seventy millimeter film? Of course. <laughs> I mean, his film stock is like as big as the screen I watched it on. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, I you. Uh, this came up, um, I can't remember exactly which episode and I'm sorry I didn't go back and look for it, but I know that I saw the trailer to Dunkirk in front of Suicide Squad. So it may be in our episode where we mentioned Suicide Squad, which is, we didn't title Suicide Squad. One of us will look that up as the other one is talking and confirm. Um, but it was really just a quick, uh, uh, comment that you made which i think was that you were kind of let down by interstellar and then we both sort of chimed in and i said well i didn't see it um but i understand that like sort of you know after the dark uh, the batman trilogy the dark knight trilogy is i would generally refer to it and then uh inception it was kind of like man you know he 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 again tried to sort of raise the the stakes for himself which 
uh, you know, uh, Kabbalah monster bless him for doing that. But um, it, that is uh, <laughs> it, that's a hard thing to top Inception. Yeah. You know? Well, so yeah, yeah. I thought now my so my main problem with it is I know I didn't want to just do an, an airing of grievances nor a full review of this movie that's now two. Two years old, three years old. Is it? Oh uh, wow, it is. Isn't it's it? two. It's two at least. Um, but I did my. Uh, I, there was a moment uh, where I maybe maybe I had to pause the film. Like I think I'd started it in, in mm. just in blind faith. Like I'm just going to watch this tonight. That's what I'm doing. And then realized, you know, like I had to pause it. You know, because uh, I'm in my home and got up to do whatever. And and at, when I paused it, realized. Oh my God! It's three hours long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's the first. That was my first problem against it too. Was like, oh. So okay. that's really where you know what I thought might be fodder for a conversation is. I kept uh, racking my brain, and I had sort of a uh, a chat going on with some friends because they asked what I thought about it, and where I was saying like, well, you know, what can you cut out of this thing mm-hmm. to make it a little bit tighter? Because there were parts where I mean, there were. There were there were parts where I was so emotionally invested, and there were parts where I was so like technically amazed, and there were mm-hmm. parts where I was just loving the like fun of the space travel. Uh, but I did feel, I guess, like man, Christopher Nolan tried to make a movie that is all of these things uh-huh. perfectly, you know? Yeah, yeah. And because of that, it's just too long. But it's like, I mean, but when you look at other pieces of garbage that have been made. Complaining about that seems so petty. Yeah, yeah. It's you could almost count Christopher Nolan as one of the last great filmmakers, you know, in, in the in the traditional sense. I would argue that, you know, the guys who made Stranger Things are every bit as good as he is. They just have a mastery over the eight to ten hour format that he hasn't delved mm. into. I mean, if if no one were to do a series, and his brother's actually getting that chance with Westworld. Um, oh, that's Nolan's brother. It's Jonathan Nolan and J.J. Abrams. So get ready. Uh, it's going to be. The, by the way, the trailer for that, came, the newest trailer for that came out, and holy shit! That it, I have not watched it, but I did receive your your uh, tweet the other day. It's uh, well, there's two now. There's like one that's like ooh, and now there's a new one that's kind of not disturbing, but you can kind of remember all those casting rumors that came out, like what they were like looking for. I can kind of see why that description was so graphic. I was like, okay, this is going to be. Anthony right. Hopkins and a lot of naked robots apparently running around at some point. Anyway, um, but Christopher Nolan, he's, you know, he's uh, Wally Pfizer was his director of photography DP. for everything up to yeah. I think up into not including Interstellar. So everything we saw up to that point. Wally Pfizer then went off and directed Transcendence, that Johnny Depp movie, which sounded badass, yeah. had a really cool trailer, but was just utter meh. And I feel like. I feel like Interstellar and Transcendence were almost like what, like the lesser of two holes, right? Or the lesser of one hole. Like I feel like those two guys separating like they did went off and did mediocre work compared to their previous body of work. And but you know, don't you think that's a little unfair? Um, or maybe I should state that in another way. Uh, were there were there things about the the photography and the cinematography in Interstellar that you thought were lacking because I felt uh, it looked. I, I got. I'm so used to Wally Pfizer's shooting style. Like you watch Inception, and you can see how Inception was made by the same team that made The Prestige. 
um, or Batman Begins. Like there's just something, something about the way he frames shots. And Interstellar kept a lot of that visual vocabulary, but there was you could tell something was off about it. And I think that was that's what it was. I'm not saying Wally Pfizer had anything to do with the script or the editing or any of that, but I just I don't know. I feel like we're in this mode now where Nolan and his core team have now gone, you know, they're drifting off. They all have other aspirations. So he's going off with kind of a reformed version of his team. You know, it's like when Prince and the revolution broke up, right? Like Prince went on and did great things, but it didn't quite measure up to just the level of awesome that he and the revolution had together. Um, well, I don't know. Have you ever heard this band, the wings? Well, Man, they did so I, much better things than those Beatles. Oh, <laughs> Well, if you really want to be technical, the Wings actually sold, <laughs> Wings actually sold more albums than the Beatles did, if I remember that correctly. That yeah. cannot be right. <laughs> I, I, I heard that, and I was like, no. And it was like during a time when somebody was telling me that I had really good trivia, and I was like, okay. Any, anywho. Um, so I don't know. I think Interstellar, like I loved, and this is, you know, we're in spoilers if you haven't seen it. Um, I liked the idea of Matthew McConaughey's character not aging while his daughter was back on earth, you know, getting older. Like I liked that. I wanted to see more about well, that. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's, we're, we're going to spoil it because I really want to talk about like, what would you cut to make a better movie? Because to me, it's better than, ah, oh, I'm just trying to think like I, I, anything. I mean, almost, almost any other, uh, I would cut, you know, it, like, it, it like felt, gravity. Gravity is a good example. I didn't really like gravity, but <laughs> how have we not discussed this? Oh well, God. but I don't like, think it's like, you know, I, I can't, I, you know, was never, I just wasn't into it. I was kind of like the concept of it kind of bothered me. And okay. So here's stuff but like that, but it's a great, what I'm saying, like, so I would say interstellar is still better than that. Is that, I guess that's Ooh. not a good one. So we're not going to, I wouldn't, on I wouldn't go that way. Cause gravity was set up to be, Gravity was more of a thriller in my mind. Yeah. Stellar was more of a plotting drama. And but I, I think say- you're, you think you're getting, that's one of the points there is what is interstellar. And and one of the things I said, like, is it a drama? Is it a thriller? It, you know, is it a, a, a scientific, like hard sci-fi? Like we talked about in our Martian. Ooh, yeah. Or just our, or yeah. Our, our side, what is sci-fi podcast? I think that was, yeah, that was because it. that, because that exactly what you said is exactly it. Like you can easily say gravity was a thriller and it's in that genre and it, it fits there. I, well, the thing about gravity though, the visuals, the breathtaking visuals aside, because Alfonso Cuaron is a goddamn genius when it comes to anything visual. The, the story was set up with beats. Like you can almost take, you can almost like, like take the story beats, put them out on a, on a line and you'll see like every five minutes, there is something to, to pull you back in, something to pull you back in, something to pull you back in. So it's like her journey, Sandra Bullock's journey. It's like you're start to finish. You're kind of, you're, there's not a chance for you to really slow down. I mean, there's kind of one at, at one point, but that's simply to get, let you catch your breath, but it's just relentless. Whereas interstellar, it takes a while to kind of get going. And it takes a while. Like I would cut I, a lot of the beginning and I would, I cut, think you hit on something huge there, which is a story beats thing. Yeah, because that would be so hard to do with Interstellar. Let me tell this you, is a real beat of the story. You know what it is? I just I just summed it up in my mind. Interstellar would have worked way better as a five part series instead of a three hour movie. Like if they wanted to do all the things they wanted to right. do, great. Then let's have an entire hour episode of just yeah. them on Earth. Film two they... more hours and then have a five five part miniseries. That 
I feel like that would have fit that way. And I would have, and we would all would have hailed it as like the next genius series from HBO or Netflix or whoever. Like, I feel like that would have been perfect. Yeah, um, I agree. I think we have to because, look at, oh, good. Well, your story beats comments is resonating with me so much because one of the things I brought up to uh, my friends in the, in the group text when they were asking me about it was uh, I would have cut, I, I, well, I just sort of, it was sort of flippant, but I said, I would have cut that scene where they come off the, the water planet yep. and they catch up on all their messages from home. Yep. And it's like Matthew McConaughey sits there and cries in a very uncomfortable way as he's watching his kids get older in all of these messages, like for way too long way to too me. Long. Yeah. Because, yeah. but, but what you said about the beat is exactly right. It's like, it's almost like that's, that's an example of telling and not showing because yeah. we hadn't gone back to earth to watch them age at all. It's yeah. like we're we're getting the information the same thing as the same time as McConaughey does, but but we're not the kids parents. So to us it's like well this is just weird. We're watching a montage of these people grow yeah. up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean part of me almost kind of wishes we didn't see her age until he actually gets back on on earth. Ooh, you know, and then man. like he meets her like that would have been cool cuz then we as the characters are in the same you know we we're, we're, we and he we as the viewers, he as a character on the same page. We're seeing her at the same time, but it's like that would have been. I don't know. There would have been something more there, but it, it's no wonder that scene is endlessly memed, right? I mean, like that's, you know, no one even has to do anything. They just have to say Matthew McConaughey's reaction from seeing the Star Wars trailer for the first time. Matthew McConaughey's reaction from seeing blah 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 you know, blah 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 blah, and they just show that scene. You know, it's like it's literally set up to kind of be lampooned. Right. Yeah, and it's. uh yeah, it, 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 I, I, oh man, it's all coming together here. Why it didn't, why it didn't all? <laughs> I mean, okay, it's because let's go back to what you said. Compared to other things, it's fantastic. I just think yeah. we have come to expect Christopher Nolan has kind of set himself up to be. It, it's going to be impossible for him to compete with himself because he has done so much good stuff. Even going back to, I mean, starting with Memento. Uh, as like his first kind of mainstream release, he did like an indie movie before that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, following, Memento. which is on Netflix right now, I believe. Is it really? Yeah, we should have to go watch that. So yeah, Memento, and then um that one Robin Williams movie, uh with Al Pacino. Uh, yeah. Whatever that 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 was good too though. Um, and then everything down the line, like, and I I will always be you know the prestige I'll always hold up as like one of his greatest like that. Even it's it's ten year anniversary I think next month. Um, and Whoa. that movie still freaking holds up like it's brand new. I mean, that insomnia, thing is, by the way, insomnia. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he's put out all these freaking amazing things and say what you will about the last Batman movie. I thought it, you know, it was still pretty strong. Um, so it's like for him to go back to an original thing. And I think, you know, when he did original things, it was the prestige, which he adapted as a book and then inception, which was completely original. So I think everybody was kind of expecting like blow us away again. And him like, okay. And here's this. And he, you know, it looks great. It, it it does its things, but I think we're so used well, to just being, you know, it's like Apple. It's like we want the next big innovation. Come on! And you know, when they don't deliver that, we're like, "Fine, yeah, you failed us. You failed us." And it's like still better than right. you the market. You're like, you failed us, you know. Right? Are we judging him by, uh, you know, unfair standards? But on the other hand, they're the standards that he set, so it kind yeah. of feels like. On the Nolinian curve of quality, he has, you know, this is probably, so all this to be said too, I have not yet seen the Dunkirk trailer um, Mm -hmm. because I was kind of hoping I would have caught it in the theater and I don't really want to see it online. But if 
that's as good as everybody's saying. I think that might be that next thing that's like, holy crap. You know, like that's that because it's not something you'd expect from him to do like kind of a historical thing. It's more of a Steven Spielberg kind of kind of move, you know, so for him to go. And, yeah. You know, we'll do that. And if and you won't... look at the Batman superhero movies as essentially fantasy or sci-fi in some way. Yeah. Then he's done nothing but sci-fi for yeah, <laughs> like you're right. 15 wow. years. So, I mean, I you know. Prestige, Interstellar, uh, uh, Inception, all of these have an element of sci-fi or, or fantasy or mm-hmm. something in them. And so, yeah, if he's doing something that's just gritty and, you know, real, that's the, I think that's going to be intense. Well, and he's good at it. I mean, Insomnia yeah. is a, a detective movie, essentially, that's – I mean, I loved it. I remember seeing it in the theater. That was part of Robin Williams' like dark trilogy, you know, that – if you count Death to Smoochie, which I do, because um, he played like the bad guy in that, he played he played a sort of you know a thousand shades of gray character in Insomnia, and then he was the flat out creepy villain in One Hour Photo, if you remember that movie. Like that was that was a great year to be a Robin Williams fan because you're like Jesus, you get to see like a lot of range from one guy over the course of three movies, because right. it all came out the same year too. I think it was Smoochie first, then One Hour Photo, then Insomnia. Um, huh. If I recall, I might be completely wrong about the timing of that. But um, so it's so. What other what other movies did you watch besides Interstellar? Oh, you're, we're done with Interstellar. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I'm just so curious. I'm just. We can come back to it, but I'm curious what else what else you watch because now I'm like, well, shoot, what else does what else does he not like that I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to try to defend? Somehow. Oh no, I, but I, I I mean you know not that I don't think we're tearing away from Interstellar. I like all those points. No, I mean they gravity. All, they all help. You're you don't like they gravity. all help the movie. Yeah, they all helped the movie make sense to me. The Interstellar, you know, story beats, what kind of genre it was in. Um, yeah, these are all—I don't know—they're all important things. Plus, I love that it touches on our favorite subject, which is like, how do you tell a story? Do you tell it over several episodes on Netflix that all come out at the same time, or do you, you know? Um, yeah. So the next movie has nothing like that to talk about. <laughs> um, it's a documentary that just appeared on. Uh, Netflix about a week ago. It's a CNN film called Holy Hell. Yes, I watched that too. Yes. Oh, yes. So this is about a a group of people in Los Angeles. Um, For those of you at home, real quick, for those of you at home, this is the documentary that has the really creepy face staring at you from the cover art. So if you're (laughs) you're flipping through Netflix, like, Jesus, what is that? It's this. You know that creepy guy that's in the cult? (laughs) He's got like eyes that follow you. It's, It's like literally one of those like, paintings of the eyes that follow you around the room that's this documentary one of the most dead-eyed stares you've ever seen and it is a real person um but yeah so it it follows a a cult called the buddha field um which was in los angeles in the 80s And, and what's so there's so many shocking elements to this and i'm so glad you saw it because i was gonna start to compare it to like going clear or something Mm. but um to and I think we can talk about holy hell without spoiling anything, but one of the so one of the really interesting elements of it is that all the almost all the footage, I mean the huge vast majority, like ninety five percent of the footage, unless it's like news footage or something, comes from a filmmaker who was in the mm-hmm. cult mm-hmm. Um, and filming it like for posterity. He was like the filmmaker of the cult, mm-hmm. so um, it's creepy in a way where they're like you know where he you're you're just seeing what he was seeing 
you know, and the people are variously performing for the camera or being real or whatever. But that was just, that was a very jarring experience. You weren't watching people, um, you know, they did have post interviews. So the story is told by them, by him narrating it and his sisters who were also in the cult and then some other former members who are are all out. So there are, it does cut to present day interviews, Mm -hmm. um, to tell that story. And those are shot. Uh, I'd actually look at the credits. They have a kind of an Alex Gibney esque sort of framing, you know, so they kind of, he, he did a good job in making it feel like a contemporary documentary, even though there is so so much historical footage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, it, Alex Gibney did not deal with you know have anything to do with this, but it was it was interesting. I didn't realize his sisters were in it. I totally missed uh, those missed two main women that are interviewed are are his sisters, the filmmaker sisters. Correct. Not not the leaders or whatever they. What did they Correct. call him? They, they had a name for him. It was they like, did call uh, him the leader, I believe, <laughs> the ma- or the master. Was it the master or something? It was like it was something creepy and cultish. It was – so what – I mean like there are a lot of cults. I think because of the way this was told through all that footage on the inside and the cuts to them in present day is – well, for starters, it doesn't tell a story of a cult that was like around for like four years or five years or ten years. This is like 20 years of footage. Mm-hmm. And so as you're watching this stuff sort of start to disintegrate, and there's not a lot of that. From the historical footage because you know they wouldn't let them they didn't want him to shoot and he was in the cult so he wasn't like shooting really embarrassing stuff mm. or, or you know when things were going wrong but um more than any other cult documentary i've seen which is quite a few i think i've gone how the hell did you not know you were in a cult you know well <laughs> and so I, i'm glad you thought that did you get that impression too no Yes, I mean, you always kind of once you start to see the crazy really take in, you're always like, huh? Oh, God. But at first, I can kind of see why some of these people got sucked in and they were very deliberate to say, you know, in the beginning, it was very much like it was all about, you know, Deepak Chopra, like improve your life. And, you know, we're here to, it, this is just right. There wasn't a, a belief system right out of the gate so much as true. A, it's actually kind of weird to call it a cult because it's really. It's really a it's really a cult of personality, which it became it's, as it went along, right? Like I right. feel like in the beginning, and it may I, who knows? But it may have even been the 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 guy who started it may have even had, you know, more less delusions of grandeur, more just like yeah, I want to kind of start a cool thing. Like I don't think he went into it Elron Hubbard style, saying I'm going to make a lot of money duping people into thinking this is all like some religion. Like it's it was like yeah, I just kind of want to hang right. out with people and. And, you know, we'll smoke some grass and you know, talk about life and, yeah, it'll just be like, it'll be cool. It'll be like a little hangout, well, like, a hip, like a hippie commune, you know. Well, and you're right. That is all t- totally correct and valid. Um, I, I, get, I guess where that comes from is, yeah, when it's easy in those years where they're just kind of hanging out together. But there's a point where they all start kind of living for that guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's the, the one thing that sticks out is this guy that makes the fruit salad, and these like he makes these like sculptures of fruit salad, and then he finds out that the leader is not even eating them because he's just, like it, he starts making them because the leader's like that's what I want for breakfast, make me bring me fresh fruit. Mm-hmm. So he starts sculpting them in these elaborate pieces, and then he finds out later that the leader's decided he doesn't, you know, he wants granola for breakfast or something, so he's not yeah, yeah. he's not eating the fruit. 
And, uh, and he's like, and I felt so sad, but then I, but then I realized like, this is my joy making it for him. And I'm like, no, you're in a fucking cult. Like, what is wrong with you? Well, that's just you it. Like, they, it was cool to see how sort of a loosely affiliated group of people end up living together on a proper commune, end up having jobs and like their, their economic security is tied to this thing. Then when that flip happens where the guy who started it all of a sudden becomes, you know, it, it turns into that inevitable cult of personality where he's walking around, they're carrying a throne for him. And like, you know, it's, they're saying, but even early, even early on, if I'm not mistaken, like they were talking about like, you know, he would look at you and you would just, you know, you were loved. You know, there was like a lot of that kind of just, you know, they, they sort of propped him yeah. up even early on. Like, you know, like he was way more, and I don't know, it's, it was weird to see because it was much less, it was it was much a, it was a much softer sell than a lot of these a lot of these sort of cult like organizations that we've seen from other documentaries you know going clear obviously being sort of the the grand the grand example of them all but there was very much a soft sell not saying i would have fallen for it but i can kind of see how some of these people got caught up in it i get it and you used a word that i don't think they even use in the film which is commune at least mm-hmm. i don't remember them discussing it that way and i think that's one of those other weird anachronisms where I guess in my brain, I did feel that like at the early early years, like oh yeah, they're living in a commune. But the thing is, this happens in the like middle '80s. Mm-hmm. That that whole commune notion, that sort of '60s vibe of the 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 free love, like you know, weird weirdly named commune thing, mm-hmm. that was 20 years out of date. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. So well, it's, wonder... it, it feels so anachronistic that like in the '80s when people had like cable news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, we, we learn as viewers that there's a turn that happens in the documentary where everything becomes really dark. But yeah. we learn as viewers that for the people in the group, that happened really early on. Like mm-hmm. there is some abuse going on. Mm-hmm. They just in – the, in the dramatic telling of it in the documentary, they don't reveal it till, you know midway through or something. Later on, uh, yeah. One, the guy, the guy who joined was – I think he was like in the mid-'80s he joined. He only left in 2007. So yeah. the internet, everything had kind of come into being – while he was still in the group you know mm-hmm. um and just for those of those of you at home who haven't seen it the guy who started is named michelle or mitchell or michelle rostand um yeah. and it it really is if you're if you have any fascination and in, in sort of just uh, the inner sociologist in me gets animated every time i watch these things because i'm just like oh man like i love studying group think and you know sort of cultural yeah. personality and why i mean like you and i've talked offline a lot about like we have a mutual appreciation for all these like north korea you know vice guides to north korea and just understanding <laughs> like how an entire country can be enraptured by you know one guy essentially or one family um so it's like when you see these little like breakoffs of that happen in america it's like you're just like who are the people that that get into this why do they get into this why do they ultimately sort of abandoned sensibility for the sake of one guy or one girl or woman um you know it's like what what is that so the thing that the thing that really struck me you know where, where it, it kind of plays like you're like okay you, it has like the signposts of a typical cult documentary where it got really crazy was when they started producing the like really expensive ballets that only they saw oh my so, god that's where that I, because I was watching, being like, you know, I was interested, but I got, I got really on board with this thing when they're like, so the guy Michelle who started it, it was like a, either a wannabe ballet dancer or you know, had tried or failed or something, 
And of course, this thing got started in LA where a lot of freaking cults get started for some reason. I'm not sure why that is. It's very, that's, that's another project for another day. But he wanted to get started. And so like a lot of the people who were in the cult were like actors or dancers or you know, very attractive people. I think Rachel pointed out at one point. Yeah. Um, you know, they well, were they talk about that in the, in the documentary too. Like there are a lot yeah. of people that were sort of in the orbit of the, of the group who would say, yeah, we knew them because they were all these attractive people that, you know, <laughs> We're always well, together. And we're always like, you know, they had either failed at being actors or had just not put in the time or just were tired of that. So Michelle would choreograph, and I don't I'm still not sure where they got the money to do this. That's the other thing too. It wasn't like this was a big organization. This was a pretty small group, right? Maybe like I would say fifty to hundred people, maybe in my Yeah. I mean was yeah, not, I don't think it grew over that. It wasn't that's one of the other, you know, marks of it not being one of those scary cults it wasn't like a corporatized cult like yeah. it was it was like no this is this is what sustains us but that was the thing they didn't talk about how did they get money you knew you knew all those people were working and giving their money back to the cult yeah you know, or back to yeah. their family or whatever you want to call it and so but they would they would go and produce like he would write and direct and choreograph these ridiculously huge ballets that had like you know broadway level sets and they they would rehearse for a year yeah they'd rehearse for a year and then they'd perform them only for themselves and i'm like once once and they would film them and it's like what the what like and the fact that they wouldn't even like you know set they oh and the other thing too is they they michelle commissioned like an entire theater to be built um a really nice one too that only they you know again 50 to 100 people performed and attended this theater so you'd think at one point they'd open that up for like summer stock or something and like you know sell tickets and actually generate some income but that never that never happened so I'm, i was just that idea was really bizarre and intriguing and i it's still that, i know a question mark when in I, head. when they say that line about we would only perform them once i honestly that <laughs> I think I, I think I felt like an enormous amount of respect for them. <laughs> like yeah, I was like, yeah. "Holy shit! You concentrated on one creative project for an entire year. You performed it once perfectly, mm-hmm. and that was it. Like that is that the most. <laughs> that is the most amazing. Oh my god, that's like the sand mandala or whatever that the, you know, is it the Buddhist that the monks that make these ornate sand mandalas or whatever that just get oh, blown, yeah. blown away. You know, it takes some weeks to make them that, which if you've seen house of cards season three you'll have seen that by the way oh really no yeah, that's Wait. that appears i have seen season three but i don't remember that that's in the white house frank walks by and like there's a whole episode where they're start it's funny they show the past oh, right, 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 right. them working on that thing and i never right. i never knew those existed and i was like what is this and yeah um well you, know, it's, you brought up one point about you know what you said at the inner sociologist wants to know you know how why people join these things uh, you also mentioned the los angeles thing which is always interesting um because it's definitely like a city of of seekers you know in los angeles yeah. to some degree and and fringe spirituality is is all around um but i think that ultimately that's one of the reasons that i feel uh like even when i enjoy a documentary about a subject like this i, I feel a disconnect or i feel that like that puzzlement in my head of like, why would you do this? Because they don't explain the why well enough. Because mm-hmm. to me, I, I mean, if anything, I was more of a punk at 19 
you know, than I am now. Mm-hmm. And if somebody were like, hey, come live with us, and uh, there's this really attractive guy, and he'll take you out into the woods and give you the secret to all essence of being or whatever, I'd be like, nah, fuck you. I got, like, better things to do. <laughs> like, I just don't – there'd be no part of me at 19 that would go – I would I, – I, <laughs> I remember being 22 or 3 or something – and this guy telling me like that he, he, he like in this very empathetic way was trying to tell me like Scientology is a really scary thing and I fell into it for a while and I was mm-hmm. – and at 23, I was like, how are you so fucking stupid that you fell into that? <laughs> like uh, you know because it's like yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. I, I – you know, I, I don't know what that is because they didn't really explain that moment of like if there's some human weakness – I, you know, that we've all felt like there's some moment where we're reaching they, out for something, but they, they just – I didn't get it enough. In this documentary, no. I mean one of the beauties yeah. of going clear is they do they – I, I think you're right. You know, they get into that a lot because you, you see especially a lot of those early people, you know, they talk about why L. Ron Hubbard had such a hold on them and like what it was. And I, I think they use that to juxtapose – they juxtapose that what was going through their heads then with what was going through their heads when they finally got out. And then they kind of look at the sum of their life. Like what, how did that, they're just as baffled as we are. Like, how did we, how did we allow that to happen? Like, you know, so this one, that was the one thing that was missing was just that, that sort of rationale. But I, I do think it kind of goes back to a lot of those people were in the original group and it just, it's kind of started off very nonchalantly just, Hey, we're hanging out with this guy and it's kind of fun. And we're going to the woods on camping trips and we're all kind of hippies. And it yeah. just sort of escalated from there once he got crazy, you know, or maybe he was always crazy and he showed that, but you know, well, but just... yeah. And so then the most terrifying part of it is that, it's it's really really close to the end when you realize um, after they've confronted this leader about all his abuse and everything they don't do anything about it they don't go to the mm. police they when you they, say abuse we mean sexual abuse by the way yes yes Let's of all of all the men yeah um, the le- the leader was was raping all of all of the men mm-hmm. um, specifically right like there weren't women that su- there were women who suffered emotional abuse but not the physical i believe that's as far as like yeah it was it they kind of it was weird too they <laughs> they spend all this time like building the story of what happened in the cult and then that, like at the very end they're like oh and by the way um he raped all of us and, blah, and so they kind of just info dump on you and it was right. like, kind of hard for me to catch up on like well wait what and so it was really like every 15 20 minutes or so of the documentary i would go wait what the fuck yeah they they took some hard kept, a lot yeah it kept like it would sort of go along in one direction and then you would learn this new information and it would really freak me out yeah, and uh, so then the last thing that really freaks me out is they they basically tell the guy we're all leaving you go away cuz he was running to escape some other law problems that he had and they were like you go do your thing but don't you know don't don't start this up again mm-hmm. and they find out he's got a new group mm-hmm. and they're in hawaii <laughs> yeah and they go and they don't even really confront them that was another kind of weird letdown but anyway I, that was that was another part where the just the the whole tone of the movie shifted for me and i i didn't know what i was watching i felt really icky about it mm-hmm. because Icky's- it felt like all the other all the other stuff they you know you know they had permission to use that footage i mean the guy that shot it owned it and was putting it together with the other people who escaped there were probably never any legal arrangements for that and then they do a real like undercover 
sting kind of thing where they've got the you know hidden cameras and they go confront this guy in Hawaii, but nothing comes of the confrontation. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. very unsatisfying and very creepy to end it that way. And I'm sorry that I've now discussed that and <laughs> and spoiled that part of it. But I really think there's so much more information. Like like oh, Taylor yeah. said, there's like this big info dump that comes at the end that it just like you you know I mean I'm, it's like my eyes just bulged out of my head like what <laughs> you yeah, know it's still worth a watch even knowing all that because oh yeah once you see again once you see the theater they built and we're not talking like oh they built like a little stage on the forest no they built a no. like eight million dollar compound like an actual theater with a professional stage with like professional Broadway sets like that only they ever saw and attended. That's the weirdest. Like once you get to that part, you're just like, what the, what? I think it that was, was in Austin when they did or Austin, Texas or somewhere. They were in Austin. Yeah, for a little they, while. they had to flee Los Angeles. And I don't remember why they had to flee Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but whenever they would do that, the filmmaker was sort of the, the right-hand man of the leader. And they yeah. would always go scout a place out and then bring everyone. And that was another, that was one of those moments where I'm like, guys, just don't, go to Austin. I mean, obviously he's nuts. And the whole group waits for yeah. the word and then they all move to Austin. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely it's, I don't know. It's it. So I will yeah, continually be. Yeah. Holy hell. That's a great, the title alone was, uh, I was like, what is this? The title on the creepy face. There's um, a, there was another documentary very similar called the source family. Yes. Which was I on said, Netflix for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was the one, Los Angeles too. And one of the weird things about that group was that they had a band that was this crazy psychedelic music, and they made all these records and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they just have this like legend of this, you know, of being this in, it, it totally insane uh, psychedelic band. And I don't think it's streaming on Netflix any longer, but I, uh, if you happen to have the old DVD service, I think it's still there. And, and that one's definitely worth checking out as well. Um, I've been racking my brain to think of other cult documentaries that I've seen because I know I've seen a lot. Um, you know, going clear, of course. Uh, and um, there was one, and maybe it was on YouTube. There, there was this one about this like Mormon, uh, like like the extreme about the FLDS. Yeah, but it's like the extreme version where that you can marry like twenty women and all that kind of stuff. They were living in a compound in. Well, Vice has done a couple of these, I think. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Because I, I fell down the rabbit hole of Vice after their North Korea stuff. Oh, do you know the one that I'm really interested in? Uh, and this is less – I guess you could call it a cult. It's kind of in that weird – and in fact, I thought about this when I was watching Holy Hell. Vice has this thing where one of their guys goes to Siberia, and he there's a, this group of people living in kind of like this you know Smurf village of sorts. And there's this guy – there is this former Russian – like soldier who kind of looks like Jesus, who I think renamed himself like Victorian or something like that. Victorian. <laughs> and he's living in, he's living in Siberia and they've got these people who are just moving there, you know, slowly building up this little town that all kind of worship him as like the new Jesus. And this guy from vice goes and he kind of ingratiates himself, you know, with this community. And then he, they had like their version of Easter. So he actually got an interview with Victorian and so you get to see, and he, you know, it was very much that vice angle of we're not gonna, we're not gonna take a heavy hand here. We're not gonna take a critical angle. We're just gonna simply show you what we're seeing. Um, so they did this whole thing, but it's that's still on vice. I think that was, that's been a, a few years now. But that thing, it was weird. That reminded me a lot of Holy Hell, and that it was, 
it's still in, in that kind of innocent mode. But if that yeah. guy gets an ego or if that guy starts, you know, laying down the law, it's going to go south really fast. Right. Um, and you get all these people living and working in this sort of like you know, this commune, but they were all so happy and they're all like, you know, you know, it's, we're really happy to be here. And, you know, it's so peaceful. And even the guy from vice was kind of, you know, he, in his narration, he's like, you know, I could see myself living here, you know, if, if, you know, properly motivated. And I'm like, Jesus. Um, <laughs> exactly. but yeah, check, that, check that one out. What is that one called? Vice. It is called Jesus of Siberia. Yes. Thank you. Jesus. And his name is Viserion. Viserion. Yeah. It's it's weird, man. And you could tell, like, you just watch it the, when they finally get the interview with that guy at the end. You're watching him and you're just like, man, I I think this I don't think this guy thinks he's Jesus. I think this guy thinks he's he's engineering the situation for his own benefit, which is scary because in that at some point he's gonna turn on the whole, you know, I need to have sex with your children or you know, what what a creepy weird angle comes into that that's just yeah that's then vice will have to go back and be like you know the the tragedy of whatever the town is called i forget what they they named the town something um i mean who knows but it's like it's like i'm you you fall down that rabbit hole and you're just like you know i I, oh good no i i agree with the rabbit hole i was gonna say when i when i watch too many of those though i inevitably think of the simpsons episode where (laughs) where they follow the leader and they all join the cult that's right is that the one where Homer like has like the private interstate or the private highway that they like uh, and they sing the song like, you know, who does the song we do like and Steve Gutenberg's part of the cult for some reason. Like, is it is it that one or is that a different one? Gosh, I don't remember. I don't think that's it, though. Simpsons. The one that I keep thinking of is where it's like, no, 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 leader. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Stonecutter. The Stonecutter's one? Oh, the stone cutters one. Yeah, where they basically the Masons. Yeah. Um, or is that that is a different one? I think you're right, because I think the leader one, yeah, yeah. I, now that I'm it's been so long since I've seen some of these Simpsons. <laughs> um Yeah. Uh, well that I mean that those were the two big ones. I did watch Ex Machina again. Um started watching it the night after I watched Interstellar and went, I I'm too disturbed. <laughs> By the events of Interstellar to start down this path. Well, let's. I'm glad you bring up Ex Machina though, because like, let's look at that. Ex Machina was made probably for a tenth of the cost of Interstellar, and oh, yeah. survives as a superior movie because it just it it sort of knew what its limitations were and worked very very yeah. well within that. And it was just a really killer. You know, you could almost you could call Ex Machina hard sci-fi if we go back to that whole discussion. You know, some some might not. I I would. And, you know, if you want to say, is it real sci-fi or is it more fantasy sci-fi? I think it's just you know straight up you know hard sci-fi as you would find in an Isaac Asimov you know book. Or yeah, um, I think so. But Interstellar, like, and granted, if Interstellar had been a series, I you know it might I might be able to compare them more favorably. But it's just like you watch Interstellar, and you're like, okay, it was fine. Then you watch X Mac, and you're like, oh my god. And maybe that's simply because that director. Or that writer, we haven't seen much from them yet. So, well, you hit on something big there, which is he, they they knew their limitations, and the thing was, at Nolan at that moment had no limitations, and he didn't make a bad big movie. Mm-hmm. He made an no. amazing big movie, mm-hmm. but it's so big that it's it's like it's it's just too it's just too big, you know? Too much, yeah. It's, it's three hours long. It's it's got elements of every single genre in it. It's not contained. Ex Machina is such a perfect. Um, what is the? What's it called? There's a there's a term for a TV episode where they don't leave a room. 
I think it's called a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ex Machina is just that. It's just contained to this house. Yeah. It, star- it starts in, in silence with Domhnall Gleeson's character winning some contest you don't understand. Yep. Next thing you know, he's on a helicopter to this uh, remote headquarters uh, mm-hmm. that the eccentric genius who founded his company where he lives they drop him off in the woods he has to walk to the house the rest of the movie takes place inside that house with four people four and characters it, yeah and it ends with uh someone <laughs> walking back to the the helicopter and leaving the house that's it there's yeah. no like i mean yeah. there's one weird shot at the very end which i honestly think they could have cut out which is I, I agree in, completely in the, in the city, but, yeah, uh, but yeah, it's such an amazing made for $15 million. Um, that's amazing. That so that, <laughs> and most uh, yeah, of that, that was just simply the CGI of the, of the Android. Like, of the, yeah, totally. You know, of her, uh, um, what was her name? Was her uh, 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 Ava, Ava, that's right. A V A. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and you throw freaking, I will, to the day I die, I will say Oscar Isaac in that movie should have won an Oscar a B that should have been Lex Luthor. His character in that movie should have been <laughs> Lex. Like if you want to talk about a modern genius CEO, megalomaniac character in the, in, you know, and, and not the mustache twirling kind of, you know, that we used to see, you know, back in the sixties or seventies, like what Oscar Isaac did in that yeah, movie. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> Was perfect. Or not the manic Mark Zuckerberg that we got in Superman v Batman. I don't. I don't know what that was supposed to be. I'm just like because. And every time I say that, people are like, what would you want? I'm like Oscar Isaac and Ex Machina. Literally, just have him play that same exact <laughs> character. He, he could literally have just put on the same costume and everything and walked onto the set of Batman v Superman. It would have been a thousand times better. You know, he would have been so much scarier than Batman. Oh God! Seriously, the scene in X Machina. If you haven't seen X Machina, there is a scene in that that is terrifying, and it's the dance sequence where Oscar oh Isaac comes in, God, and you're just like, dude. and Domo Gleason's face, it was mine. I'm like, what is happening right now? And like, you can't. Was- there's no way we could even spoil it by describing it. No. But the events that happen right before that dance happens. Yep. Are, yep. are kind of disturbing. And you, it's sort of like it switches tone from. Uh, oh my god! I mean, it just switches tone from this like menacing, ticket terror. You know, just this like brief fear that we've all we've all felt being in like a weird compromised position or something, mm-hmm. which is what Domhnall Gleeson's in, and Isaac, uh, Oscar Isaac walks in, and you don't know where he's gonna go, and no. he starts this choreographed dance, <laughs> which is. Yeah. Yeah, so disturbing. With like a oh, weird, like man, with like an disturbing. Uber V-neck shirt on, or like a robe with like his chest hanging. No, oh, it's a whole... it's a sweatshirt that's like unzipped. <laughs> okay, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's like in a velvet sweatsuit, like lounge suit kind of thing, and it's unzipped down to his navel. As happy go lucky and as as charming as he is in Star Wars, he's the literal opposite in this movie. Like it, uh, it's I, hard yeah. to know he's the same. I mean, he's the new Gary Oldman. I'm just gonna say that right now. Like that oh, dude. Man can shift tone and shift character you watch him and you're like how is this the same guy like you don't realize it is like it just physically it's the same guy but you just can't like you watch gary oldman in any movie and it's like a different guy every goddamn time it's like a totally different creature has emerged and that's like that is my favorite kind of acting because it's like you know he can he can burrow deep into something and you know the change his tone change his pitch changes everything about it um it's just it's brilliant. I mean, granted, not everybody can do that. So it's you know it's it when you can and you 
figure that out well on you um yeah the other well, thing that, I was gonna, that was oh, oh no go ahead no no no, no, I was going to wrap it up. You, you keep pinning things to it. Go for it. No, 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 wrap it up, wrap it up. Because this is, uh, I'll, I'll go on for another hour if we don't. <laughs> well, those were the. I, I did watch uh, uh, one or two other things. I can't that don't immediately spring to me as, to mind as having something to say about them. Um, but you had mentioned right before we started recording that you thought I was going to bring up a topic I mentioned on Twitter, and I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. So I thought, let's well, air that. For, for those of you at home, and unless you were joking, I, you did Todd get his bike stolen this week? Yeah, I did get my bike stolen this week. It was overdue for for, a for theft. stealing? For theft? I my mean, bike's I, been giving it to, having it too well for too long. It should get stolen. Here we go. I had two... two uh, two beach cruisers stolen within like i used to have a beach cruiser stolen every year basically it was how i looked at it when i moved to california it was like oh they they only last about eight to ten months and they get stolen um and then i bought a really really nice one which was possibly foolish but i've had it for five years and it was a very nice beach cruiser with gears um it was locked up it was outside which many people tell you is stupid but it was still What's so stupid is it's a beach cruiser. Yeah. It's not modular at all. No, it's not no. like a street bike where the front wheel like snaps off so you can leave, you know, part of it chained up and then carry the wheel into your your office so- like you're in a like Quicksilver with Kevin Bacon. It's uh <laughs> it's it's like it was locked up and somebody this is the disturbing part had enough time in the middle of the day to unscrew the bolts, like the lug nuts on the front wheel, and just took the whole body of the bike oh, and left God. me the front wheel chained up. And I'm like, you motherfucker, I, <laughs> what are you even doing with this? Wow. You, where, I, I, I'm so, I was so confused. And, of course, my reaction was I just went and unlocked the front wheel and just left it there. Like, well, if you want to come back and get the front wheel, it's yours <laughs> because yeah. – <laughs> it's no use to me now. Maybe he um, still. Maybe he had unsuccessfully stolen another bike and only got the wheel. So he's like, I just need a bike body, but I, I've got I've got a wheel already. I can just come and do that. That sucks, man. Like, why? Ah, uh, is there uh, any possibility of of? Because I'm thinking like, okay, when you do, when I were if when I if I'm serious about you know locking my bike up for the day, I have to unhook the front wheel pair it with the back wheel and then chain those two things together. So you didn't have that capability. Were you using like, just like a regular, like you lock or what was your, it was a chain like, lock, chain um, lock. Okay. but I have a, I have like one of those mega chain locks because the first two bikes that got stolen every time I would get a thicker chain lock. And finally I got this one where the guys were like, yeah, I mean, you can cut it, but <laughs> you'd have to have some serious cutters you know it's like you I can't worry get though, like garden shears and cut through this lock so i have a pretty pretty serious chain lock but um or you, you know like a, a coil lock kind of thing but it's um yeah. pretty tough and uh uh but yeah so i guess it was just that was too much bother to cut that we'd rather <laughs> just sit here for five minutes and unscrew it which is weird too like well did you get into my backyard like did you jump over this wall with uh with you know like a wrench Oh wait, so this was at home? Yeah, that's what's oh, really shit. This wasn't even at work or anything. Oh my god. Oh, that's yeah, sick. That's a bummer. Yeah, that was not one of my prepared topics for tonight, but it did happen. Well, scary that's world fun. out there, kids. Lock your bikes up. Lock your bikes up and don't keep your camera equipment in your goddamn car. I can't tell you how many friends of mine have had their stuff stolen oh. out of their car because they leave it visibly in the back seat or leave it in the trunk 
for a long period of time. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't leave your gear and your God. Oh, yours I, yours has yeah. been more forgivable because that's I would not I would have been surprised myself to. <sighs> There's a yeah. I mean, I get it. Should I shouldn't have been out in the first place? Mm. But um, it's a cruiser. You can't hang it on the wall. No. You know, it's like kind of clunky in the house. It's you know the the handlebars are giant and wide. So uh, yeah, I'm. I'm Makes you wonder if somebody it. who lives near you has it, and you're going to see it on the road sometime <laughs> next like week. It's just uh, just a guy doing a permanent wheelie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no front wheel. Just in Grand Theft Auto style, you're after going to run up, you run up to him and just push him off the bike and take the bike. <laughs> I, I'll I'll, I'll just go like, dude, dude, you forgot the front wheel. Come get it. I'm just going to have to throw it away. <laughs> it's yours. Well, on that note. So next week we will tell you what the hell we've been yeah. clumsily hinting at for yeah. a few weeks now. Um, I, I normally, this is the part where we say, go find us at toddandtaylor.com, but I noticed that toddandtaylor.com doesn't work, which oh. is sort of, uh, I, I thought you were moving that intentionally. Oh, what happened? Oh, there? well, whatever we announce next week, a website will be involved. Yeah. Yep, a website will be involved. Todd and Taylor will be, you know, dot com. Uh, we'll give you the lay of the work. land next work. week. TodandTaylor.com. Keep that in mind. And whenever that starts working again, you've found out the secret. I, uh, oh, I know what happened. Okay, because I moved yeah, it all. Yeah. We'll talk I moved about that off- offline. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but where can people find you in the meantime if they uh, want to chat, chat at you and discuss your negative feelings on all Christopher Nolan movies? Well, no. And, <laughs> Or you, if they want to argue about gravity's worth as a sci-fi, that I'm happy to entertain uh, at Taylor Trask on Twitter. Um, that's usually me, and I say that because it's like I kind of approach Twitter like text messaging for everybody. So you know, you hit me up there with whatever, I will respond. Wow, that is pretty open. I am yeah. at Hey Todd A on Twitter. And uh, I use that block button like a son of a gun. No, so. I'm not as popular as you yet, I guess. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still jonesing for anybody to hit me up. So, well, it's um, been, we, we, we will have to, we absolutely, okay. We need to come up with a sign off <laughs> for this show because yeah. like Wednesday and Westeros, we just play the music out like this. We need, we need some kind of like, you know, chipper, like, and that it's was funny. the day that was, you know, whatever, whatever we come It's up funny because I did think of a sign-off for an, another thing that we're doing and, mm. and typically have not given any thought to the thing that we actually do. Uh, but, Taylor, I will tell you, if tonight, if you're feeling like, you know what, I would just like a little palate cleanser, can I recommend Trader Joe's <laughs> dark chocolate mints with a crunchy uh, yes. white candy shell and a pure peppermint center? They're quite refreshing. And uh, as you know, I've ripped the part of the bag that would confirm this, but I'm just going to tell you serving size is one bag. <laughs> one entire tra- bag. <laughs> I'm going to my local Trader Joe's now to buy my own. Thanks, Todd. Perfect. Wash it down with a spindrift uh, sparkling water. <laughs> and with that, we are Todd and Taylor, the Spin the Todd and Taylor Show, and we will see you sometime soon.